There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Pubs, Pints, People. I'm Claire Phillips and with me are Ant Fiorillo and Matt Bundy. This is episode six and as we move through the series, things are gradually getting better for pubs, real ale and cider, of course. Since the last episode, those listeners in Scotland and Wales can now visit the pub for a pint or two as well, although there are still some restrictions in place. Well, it's a step in the right direction. Welcome back to the beer gardens is what I say. We'd love to see some of your pictures of you enjoying drinks food and most importantly company of your friends and loved ones even if that does mean wrapping up in blankets or huddling around a patio heater use the hashtags hashtag cask is back and hashtag pubs matter when sharing those photos and get through to us on twitter as always at pubs pints people you know i think it's so great to be back in your favorite pub enjoying a fresh pint i think we're all getting used to the new rules and everyone's airing on the side of caution which is really really good so as we said the other week be patient be respectful of the other bar staff and of course fellow customers yeah, I mean, behind the face masks, you know, the licensees and serving staff are really pleased to see us. And I think that is interesting, isn't it? You don't you don't get that kind of lovely human connection of being able to smile at someone. Yeah, you get to show how appreciative you are. That's it. I've heard about smizing, which is smiling with your eyes, but it just looks like you're in the middle of a sneeze when I do it or something <laughs> weird like that. People sort of turn me away. Are you, meant to kind of, are you meant to raise your eyebrows in a kind of smile? Is that well, what Yeah, is? but even then that could be perceived as something else, could it not, with a raise of the eyebrow and a squeeze of the eyes? Yeah. I don't know. Me just looking very surprised at being given this table. <laughs> just yeah, like constipated or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that, but, uh, it is interesting. I did have a bit of uh, an awkward moment when you're kind of being directed through the one-way system and they've been directed to your table. And, and I felt like they were, I, I just kind of had to go in stony silence because I kind of didn't start off with like a smile <laughs> and a welcome. So it was kind of like a solemn procession through the pub, you know, as I got there. I know there. what you mean. You, you feel like you can't say anything. You sort of that awkward, I, I will wait now to be shown. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, and it was like a kind of pause at the hand sanitizer. Would you mind, sir? Very solemn, you know. But but I mean, it's it's just lovely to be at the pub, isn't it? You know, even if you know there's some of that um, that lovely connection you can get is is quite tricky to have. Um, and I know that people have mentioned uh, on the Twitter about ordering systems sometimes being a bit challenging. But I think it's just wonderful that we're all adapting and making the best of what we can do within the rules. And and the important thing is being back in the pub, supporting them and supporting supporting cascales you know and and drinking the 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 right things that need support when we're there 
And, and I'm just glad to be back uh, in the pub with a couple of friends, to be honest. So I say be patient, be nice to the staff. They're doing a cracking job under incredibly difficult circumstances. And let's just keep the progress going. Don't forget to take your big coat with you, because I, I made the mistake of going along thinking, oh, we're in May now. I'll just take this little light jacket and nearly froze to death. So, uh, yeah, your big, your big coat, if not your raincoat. Um, I know. <laughs> Mother Nature didn't get the memo last week, did she? No, absolutely not. <laughs> I love I love those pictures of people in, like, you know, absolute torrential hailstones, still, like, they're stoically enjoying a pint. Basically, basically saying, this is Britain. Still, despite the weather, as our pubs and clubs are gradually coming back to life, there's going to be all sorts of challenges still to face them and a big campaign for camera at the moment is about small brewers relief or SBR we'll be talking about that in this show the government's proposed changes that could really hurt small brewers just when some are working out if they can survive at all we've got a couple of great interviews on the topic and we'll be hearing their side of the story a bit later on I'm looking forward to those. Now, in other camera news, the new What's Brewing online platform is now live. You can log on with your own camera membership details to check out the latest campaign and industry news, and you can also set up regular news alerts via your email and even follow a new dedicated Twitter feed at WBOnline underscore. That's a bit of a strange one, but the links are in the show notes below, and more details and links to the platform will be there as well. Now, we're going to be very interested to hear what you think about this one. It's at wb.camera.org.uk. Have a little peek, a little explore, and let us know through the usual channels. I feel like we need a jingle for at wbonline underscore. It's <laughs> just the underscore. underscore. Yeah, I, can't, I, can't, I can't get over the underscore at the end. Underscore, <laughs> then nothing else. Some other bloke out there has taken wbonline, and, you know... It, it's just one of those, isn't it, when you're trying to get your handle and someone else has got their name, so what can we get as close yeah. to it as possible? But uh, yeah. at WBOnline underscore is what it is. Cider lovers amongst you all, including myself, oh, yes. cider and perry lovers, oh, my, yes. and my brothers and sisters out there, uh, must know that May is cider and perry month. Oh, yeah. Of course you do. Now, camera has got two Cider and Perry Awareness Months because you can't fit all the goodness of Cider and Perry into one Awareness Month. That's my opinion. <laughs> so um, I, I thought it was it was May is also Mild Month, so hang on. Mild you can't have, May, yeah. Yeah, so, well, so that's probably why you've got two because you have to share May with Mild. What we like to do is we like to, you know, get all the mild fans and then get all the side of Perry fans and then we meet in a car park. And, <laughs> and, then, and then we'll see who's awareness month it is. <laughs> and I've got to say, those mild fans were not as you would think them to be. No mildness they, there. Yeah, but they don't get October as well, you see. That's that's okay, the difference. Yeah. Well. Going born to be mild, blaring out as oh they come down the thing. Goodness me. Me, I mean, me and my Apple committee there, you know, <laughs> with our plank, planking foals. Is it like something out of West Side Story? Please tell me it is. It is. It's very much like that. It's kind of an Anchorman <laughs> kind of West Side Story feel to it. But um, but so I look forward to that, you know, in May. And, uh, and it is a great time of year yeah. for us cider and perry lovers. You know, the orchards coming into blossom, the fruit starting to appear, not on my trees, but that's another story. <laughs> um, they uh, they seem to be going for one once every four years, I think. Oh, wow. Well. It's not biennial, I think. I don't quaternial. There's got to be a word for it. But, M- millennial. Uh, millennial, that is probably about right. I tell you what, yeah. <laughs> it is a bit sulky. But, um, and it's also the time of year when, of course, last season's wonderful Cider and Perry reaches maturity and can start being enjoyed. 
And of course, you can get all the details, including an event timeline on the camera website. As ever, there's a link in the show notes. And there's all sorts of interesting stuff, including new cider content from the camera learn and discover team, enjoying the blossom trail, visiting orchards safely and much more. And our next podcast, in fact, is all about cider. So stay tuned for that. That's out on the 25th of May. And cider and beer, of course, is available on Brew to You. If you can't get to the pub, but you want to get some in at home and support your local businesses, really worth having a look at it, actually. And it's worth looking at the Pulling Together initiative. And again, all the details you'll find in the show notes. Absolutely. And listen, we couldn't forget to mention our Cask is Back campaign to get people drinking hand-poured cask beer again. And of course, that can only happen in a pub. Sales have been hit hard by lockdown. We know this 70% down year on year and 80% of small independent brewers' revenue is from the pubs. Uh, a majority, actually, 70% of that is cask. So so this is where you can help us. I feel as if I'm preaching to a choir a bit here. But uh, the next time you're in a pub, choose a pint of cask ale. And don't forget to share a photo using hashtag cask is back. Um, but listen, there's a lot of there's a lot of small independent breweries that are on the brink. We know this, and we want them to survive. Again, more about this on the camera and Sabre websites. Yeah, there's lots going on with the campaign. Plenty of opportunities to get involved, everybody. And let's get back to our main topic today. We're talking S. We're talking B. We're talking R. Small brewers relief. And it is time for our first interview with Jack Hobday of Ansbach and Hobday, who's a small independent brewery based in Croydon, South London. And Jack is chatting to our interviewer, Chris Portsmore, about small brewers relief and the potential impact of any changes on top of all the other challenges of COVID. Well, my name's um, Jack Hobday. I'm co-founder of Anspatch and Hobday. We're a small brewery based uh, originally in Bermondsey. And we, we recently uh, expanded our production to a new site in uh, Croydon. We've managed to survive the last uh, here and we're very grateful for all of our customers and our, our team to to still be here despite the the difficult times no that's fantastic and thank you very much you sent out for the beers uh, for me to try i see that you've got 10 or 9 what was the first beer and um where are you looking to go from now from where you are so uh we're probably best known for our darker beers we we uh we were originally a pair of home brewers myself and paul anspach and the first beer that we ever brewed that was any good was our porter probably one of our highest rated beers now and i think on uh, some of the rating sites like Rate Beer, it's in the top 30 in the world. So it's it's sort of our flagship, even though it's a dark beer, but it's very much of London. And that's really what our brand is about, the sort of history of London and bringing traditional beers into the modern environment. I think we're very pleased that last year we were able to put our bitter into cans and, and cans obviously helped a lot through covid i think that's a really good example of a, of a traditional style that i think we've hopefully done justice to i've tried the ordinary bitter and i can say that is one to try uh, along with the porter it is it's unlike anything i've actually had before so it's lovely so thank you very much so what's it like then being a small brewer doing this global pandemic what are you having to deal with that the bigger breweries aren't having to, to do? You've seen production splits and, and changes that you previously would have thought unimaginable. The idea that you could stop producing keg and cask beer. And for us, we were lucky with our cans. They came online in March. In fact, we thought it was a disaster because we were entering into COVID and we couldn't launch them in our, our tap room or with any of our pub customers. And then, of course, 
in hindsight now it, it seems like it was a a real stroke of luck because, and of course, they've become the popular route to market really for, for a lot of small brewers and, and, and fans of small brewers' beers. I think the nice thing has been that it really has been quite an emotional journey to think that we, we were probably looking at going bust. We lost something like 80% of sales in March with the closure of pubs, so we really didn't have a lot of hope. But we, yeah, we sort of rallied around change tack a little bit, put everything into the cans that we could. And there's been some advantages in a way of being small like that. We're a 2,000 hectolitre brewery, and that's still pretty small. That's about halfway up the, the lowest point on the relief curve. And we pay half rates until we get to 5,000 hectolitres. And then you still get relief all the way up to 60,000 hectolitres. So Anspach and Hog Day's right on the smaller end of the brewing scale, if you like. And the big guys, your, your Heineken's and whatnot, uh, millions of of hectolitres, not just two thousand. So I, I think actually this this pandemic's probably been a bit harder on some of the larger but still very small brewers who would have had local cask supply to pubs. If you were that was your only route to market this last year, it must have been so incredibly frustrating because you, you just haven't got a way to get the beer out. So in a way, I consider Anspach and Hobday very fortunate that we've. We've been in that position to um, move a lot to small pack. I think the very largest brewers, of course, they dominate the supermarkets. They've lost out to the pubs as well, but perhaps the smaller guys just haven't had the same opportunities to get to market. And if you haven't been able to set up a a web shop, I think that that's where it's really been a a difference in challenges. But I did see, of course, uh, the fairly recent headlines that things haven't been great for Heineken, at least. And um, I'm sure it's not been easy at the top. But, you know, they've got the monopoly. And when the pubs reopen, their market access is, is second to none. A small brewers relief. Government website says it's a tax relief which gives small brewers a reduced rate on beer duty. Can you sort of expand on what that means to yourself? Well, I think I think one thing that's important to make really clear is that the small brewers relief has nothing to do with uh, with COVID, and I'm sure most people probably know that. But what's happened recently is the government announced in uh, June or July that they were going to review small brewers relief but they they announced some of the early findings and, and one of those was that the smallest brewers would pay more duty and this this was a bit of a kick for the smallest brewers especially during the pandemic quite a few people thought that was maybe some result of the pandemic you know a sort of things aren't easy so we're going to raise a tax here which you know surely is going to come with the amount of money that has been spent keeping everyone afloat but that actually is a completely separate issue it's just in fact um, abysmal timing Um, and of course the way they announced it was very poor in terms of um, certainty they didn't really say how much the smaller brewers would pay extra they just said if you're over 2,100 hectolitres, and bear in mind as a brewery, we're just, we're just at 2,000, so this yeah, is yeah, right on our doorstep, um, you're going to pay more duty. Can you imagine the uncertainty of a pandemic already? And then say we wanted to raise some funds directly after that announcement. Anyone who might be considering investing in us was going to say, well, what's your duty level going to be like in a year's time or two? You can't say anything. You know, you can't say you know where it's going to go at all because that that was the level of the announcement at the time. It was just that there'd be an increase. The backstory is that Small Brewers Relief is a scheme which is put in place to 
allow the smallest brewers to compete with the largest. And it starts at, well, from zero production up to this idea of 500,000 litres or 50,000 litres, you pay half the duty rate of a full-size brewery. The point is that the relief curve uh, goes up quite steeply after the half relief. And a lot of the conversation in the industry is about whether the curve is working. But under 5,000, it's simply half relief or half the duty rate for those brewers. All right. Now it's a heck of a lot of beer to be producing though, you know, and especially during this sort of period. Is there anything as as consumers that we can do to help you at all? Well, I think actually the what 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 one thing we've seen recently is that uh, as far as as of today, the government in Scotland has announced some special support package for brewers and there's been no such thing in England or Wales. If you've got a local brewery and they're small, please write to your MP or get in touch through, I guess, camera or maybe SEBA and petition them to offer the same support the Scottish brewers have had, which is simply just an extra grant for brewers, which has existed for pubs and has existed for other areas and other industries, but but hasn't been there for, for the brewers, despite the fact that we're so closely tied to the retail industries that have been decimated. I see um, from some of my notes that you've launched a petition to the government to reverse the changes to uh, to SBR. What would you like the government to do with this petition? Yeah, basically, um, after that vague announcement in June that the smallest brewers were going to have an increase, but we didn't know how much by, I was approached by a couple of journalists for comment. They asked me what I was going to do about it. And I, I, I think I fumbled around and said, I think I'll start a petition. And so I did. And and basically, the idea is that it's okay for the duty scheme to be reviewed, of course, and it's all right for every brewery to try and keep their duty as low as possible. But to increase the duty for the smallest, especially doing so whilst we're so badly affected from a pandemic. And, and to be fair, the, the increase wouldn't come in until, I think, early next year. But if you look at the timelines... That it's hard to believe that maybe by early next year everything will be hunky dory. I think that the idea of the petition was picked up by SIBO, which is obviously our industry body, and Camera joined in as well. And of course, it's had great support. It's a very technical issue. I, you know, with the backdrop of COVID, I'm the first to recognise that there there are a lot of pressing concerns on a lot of people's minds. So, small brewers having to pay a bit of extra duty in the future is that the top of it. But the reality is that what's happened with small brewers in this country since 2002, when the relief was started, is a huge increase in the amount of of brewers and the diversity of beers and our, and the part of breweries in communities. And I'm not saying that they that didn't exist in places before, but it is just so much better than it was certainly when I was uh, growing up and when I first was drinking beer. If you care a lot about your local small brewery, then protecting those under 5,000 hectolitres is not, not a, a bad start, and that's what that petition's about. No, I agree completely. If there's anyone that wants to sign it, it's petition.parliament.uk slash petitions slash three three four zero six six i'm sat here with your table beer and as a low alcohol it is amazing but do you think that low alcohol sort of can be the way that the brewery industry will go it's a funny one i think uh i think that the lower nose obviously getting a lot of attention the um the consumer data is showing that drinkers are, are moving towards 
that area. If you look at the history of table beers and go back 100, 200, 300 years, a very low ABV beer for the table was basically the mainstay of British culture. It wasn't, you know, it was drunk because it was the safest thing to drink. Ours is um, perhaps a bit more modern hopped, just a as is often the case with a small brewer in the UK these days. But the principle of it is really just a rediscovering of of something that I think was probably prevalent up until the point where drinking water became very safe. In that respect, I think they're going to continue to become more popular following on from that thread of Anspach and Hobde being a little bit rooted in the past and reflecting upon that. It's really just a return to um, what was. Thank you very, very much, uh, Jack, for your time. Really do uh, appreciate it. An absolute pleasure, Chris. Thank you. So that's really interesting that they were home brewers and they kept experimenting until they'd found something that worked and that turned out to be their flagship beer, the Porter, which I would very much mm. like to try, I think. Oh, yeah, me too, me too. Anspach and Hobday obviously are able to turn a negative into a positive. I love that, to adjust that quickly. And what I quite like is how Jack was saying that some of those bigger producers just can't pivot as easily. And again, that goes, goes hand in hand with the importance of these small brewers. I think it was interesting to hear about SBR from someone really at the sharp end, wasn't it? I yeah. mean, Jack mm. didn't quite rightly didn't sound too impressed with the handling of the government review into it. Yeah, and and SBR is clearly incredibly important for the small brewing scene. And right now, obviously, as the industry is recovering from probably its most turbulent time ever, this perhaps isn't the time to mess it up because it was originally intended to help new entrants grow and promote diversity and competition in the industry and help local community brewers survive as well. And in fact, that's just what we need now. Jack pointed to the Scottish government's move to give a special grant to small brewers, which hasn't happened in other parts of the UK. And the government at Westminster is pushing ahead with adjusting SBR so that some of the smaller brewers will pay more tax, which is why Jack started that UK Parliament petition, gaining over 50,000 signatures. So unfortunately, though, the petition did close after six months, so you can't sign it anymore. But as you'll hear in our second interview coming up soon, the fight still goes on. It certainly does. Come on, Jack and gang. Now, the discussion about low-alcohol table beer was really interesting, if you ask me. It really reminded me of... Um, remember the small beer company who joined us on the show in our London as a Beer City episode? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, it seems like the drinkers really like to have the option of something lighter, as Jack's alluded to, and... It's clearly been discovering a tradition that's lasted, well, hundreds of years. Yeah, I've really fantastic interview. So thanks very much to Jack for joining us. And time to talk pubs now because it's time for We're Only Here for the Beer, where we delve into the current edition of the Good Beer Guide and yeah. pick some pubs that we're either looking forward to going to or or have been to in the past. Well, I thought I'd start this week, and and given the wonderful news that our Scottish and Welsh uh, contingencies are now also enjoying pints, I thought I'd choose some from Wales and actually um, those who've listened before will remember that my now wife at the time partner lived in North Wales and I used to get the train over from Manchester well of course I used to have a pub on the way there I also had a beer when I arrived but one place that uh, my wife and I used to quite like to go to when I was there was a little place in a little village town called Mould M-O-L-D. Now, don't ask me to pronounce the Welsh version of it. I definitely don't know. There's lots of R's and Y's in it. But what I do know is that the pub, the Fat Boar, as it's called, 
is a wonderful place. There's actually two of them. There's one in the Mould side and one over in Wrexham, and it's uh, it's an independent pub. Probably more food-led nowadays, but that's exactly why we loved to go there, because it was uh, somewhere we could go during the weekend when the markets were on, have a little peruse and a browse into the pub for something to eat for lunchtime, and, of course, have some delicious drinks. I'm just having a look at the right up in the beer guide here, and I do remember it really fondly. Yes, food lab. It's over. It's over a couple of levels. This one in mould, and uh, it seats about eighty people. But what really sets it off is the wonderful garden in the back as well. Plenty of plenty of options when the weather's good as well. So yeah, one I'd love to go back to if I ever found myself in the north of the country again. Who knows? Maybe my wife and I, when we've got five minutes with our wonderful children, might just be able to sneak <laughs> away. <laughs> Sounds great. Where, where are you off to, Matt? Well, I've got two options, but I must choose one. The first one I was the Bridge Inn in Peebles. That was mainly because I was just really loved the, the name of the place where it is, Peebles. <laughs> and I thought it sounded like a CBBC uh, series <laughs> that is just waiting to happen. But I can't just think of that. It's, uh, it, that sounds like a wonderful pub there. I've actually gone for the Oyster Catcher on Loch Fine. Sounds very fine indeed. Oh, yeah. mm. um, just just for the description that I found um, in the Good Provide and on, on the website about it as well, where it says there's lots of tables out on the spit and mooring for yachts, which is all I've ever wanted. Uh, so just, <laughs> I, wanna, I just want to yacht up to the place, sit down and have a pint of cask and yacht off again. That's it. I mean, especially if you're in Milton Keynes, so you just want a, a landlocked town, the ability to take your yacht up to, <laughs> up to Loch Fine. Yeah, yeah that's I mean. I would have to drive quite a long distance in order to take the boat to the lock. But once I'm there, I'm very happy. <laughs> well, I... I've chosen a pub in the Highlands as as well, um, in Fort William, in fact. It's the Ben Nevis Inn. And I was looking at, because obviously I think in Scotland at the moment, as we're recording, uh, drinking alcohol is only permitted outside pubs as well. So you need somewhere with a nice garden or a nice view. And I looked at an article online about the best pub gardens in Scotland. And the Ben Nevis Inn was one of those that was mentioned. Um, never been there myself, but uh, I think if I'm in that part of the world at any time, I'll certainly add it to the list to visit. It's a traditional 200-year-old stone-built barn at the start of the Ben Nevis mountain path. So I guess if you've done the the three peaks or something like that, then uh, probably familiar to many. It's popular with outdoor enthusiasts, it says, which is handy at the moment, seeing as you can't go indoors. There's a small bar counter with three hand pumps offering beers from local breweries, has regular live music and the food menu changes daily as well. So mm. certainly one, if, if you like the outdoors, if you like mountaineering, if you're doing peaks and you're there in time to, to go to the pub, because I know people climb the mountains in the middle of the night when they do that. Gosh. But if the pub's open, um, I guess that's that's one to visit. And the garden looked superb on the article I read. So that's the, the Ben Nevis Inn in Fort William. Lovely stuff. You know, it was interesting, sort of speaking on the topic, because, you know, one thing that obviously makes... Uh, pubs for me is the staff within them, people that help uh, run them, and I, I, I don't know what you, whether you saw it, but it's been really interesting to see how um, restaurants and bars and pubs and the likes are actually struggling a little bit to recruit some of their staff. So hopefully we we uh, will see an uptake in that as the world comes back to normal, because of course a good a good bar is nothing without its staff, is it? It's also tricky, isn't it, if you're working in a pub or restaurant, you're putting yourself on 
on the front line a little bit, you know, in, in a weird way. You, you know, you kind of going to be dealing with lots of people over and having to deal with lots of different, yeah. lots of the rules and things. So mm. it's not, it's a different job. Well, it, it is. Uh, well, there's that, and something that the article also mentioned was that, um, you know, because a lot of people have been out of work, they've been forced to get other jobs, and that's that's playing into it a lot as well. That a lot of these people have have, have found work elsewhere, and rightly so, just to keep themselves afloat, and obviously either can't now go back to the previous roles that they had or or don't want to so hopefully if you're listening you work in a bar or you run a pub then get in touch and show us share with us maybe some initiatives that you're taking to make sure that you're keeping people in work and uh and how you're employing people in your pub yeah you, you can do that via twitter of course um or, or indeed uh, drop us an email podcast at camera.org.uk now it's time for our second interview which is with neil walker who's head of communications and marketing at ciba which is the Society of Independent Brewers, and it's been representing their members' interests since 1980. Owen Ralph is asking the questions for us on this one, so let's give it a listen. SIBA represents uh, independent craft breweries across the whole of the UK. Uh, we have about 800 different members who are breweries, uh, and we also look after uh, supplier businesses as well, so people like hot merchants and kind of beer marketing companies, all that sort of stuff. Um, we do a number of things. So we run uh, beer competitions. We run uh, festivals. We also do a lot of kind of government lobbying, uh, very similar to camera in that sense, and we work with camera on, on lots of different issues. But we, from our point of view, we're trying to get a better deal for small independent breweries through taxation through legislation just making sure that government are treating brewers fairly uh, and we also do uh, we have a commercial side of the business yeah. which sells beer on behalf of uh, small breweries so tries to get them access to, to pubs and pub groups that they otherwise wouldn't have access to and how many members do you represent in total uh, well, it's about eight eight hundred breweries, um, yeah. and then there's about three hundred uh, supplier associate members. So, like I say, those kind of hot merchants, maltsters, those types of companies. Do you find many new breweries are eager to join? Do they know you're there? It's it's a bit of everything. So, yeah. I mean, in terms of our membership, I would say about eighty percent. Um, it's changes a little bit every year, but about 75-80% of the production is, is cask beer. Uh, so cask beer is absolutely the kind of bread and butter of, of what our members do, but in recent years we've definitely seen more of them kind of moving into, into keg beer, and obviously with coronavirus lockdown during 2020 and early 2021, you know, we saw yeah. lots, lots more of them going in small pack, so lots more of them selling beer in, in bottles and, and cans, but yeah, cask beer is still a, a huge thing for our members. Now, we're here today to talk mainly about small brewers' relief. I know you've got some concerns about that. Just just tell us about it in general and then the changes that are coming in and how that might affect your members. Yeah, so I mean, small brewers' relief, at its most basic, means that smaller brewers pay a proportional amount of tax compared to the larger brewers. Um, so the very, very smallest actually get a 50% reduction um, in, their, in their rate of duty. And then there's a, a sliding scale on that. The, the issue with it is, you know, it's, it's, it's been in, in place for quite some years now and the, there's there's been pushes for it to be reformed because further up this kind of scale, so as you get slightly larger, there's a bit of a cliff edge. So actually, when you were getting to, you know, 5,000 hectolitres, there was a bit of a cliff edge and it made it difficult to grow. So essentially, businesses were thinking, well, is it worth me growing because I'm going to have to pay more tax? Now, to try and address that, government are looking at what different ways in which they can kind of smooth that curve, so essentially make it easier for businesses to grow. 
the sticking point for us is basically that we don't want any small breweries to, to lose their relief. We don't want any small breweries to be worse off. Under the current government proposals, what they're saying is that 5,000 hectolitres, which is the kind of upper limit for that for that maximum yeah. amount of relief, that's going to move down to 2,100. So, so that would see about, about 150 small breweries worse off. Um, yeah. It would mean that some of the, the kind of bigger regional brewers further up that scale would, would be better off. And that just doesn't seem fair to us. So just give us an idea of some of the names that would suddenly be moved into that uh, category and have to pay the, the full amount. Well, I mean, one of the breweries we've been working quite closely with on this issue is uh, Anspach and Hobday, mm. um, and, and they're absolutely ar- around that level. I mean, it's a difficult thing because breweries do, often don't want to talk about their production sizes and things like that. And obviously, Seabrook's a trade association. We we know all of the production sizes, but it's not something which I'd want to kind of out them um, as to how large or small they are. But Anspach have been quite clear on that, and they would be absolutely be, be worse off by this but it's worth saying that actually there are there are brewers who are who are larger and, and who may benefit from this so you know someone like signature brew actually they're past that threshold you know they've had the the pain of getting past that threshold now in the kind of higher production levels within sbr but actually they don't agree with this so even though they would benefit from this change actually they think well you know <laughs> We don't think it's fair to be taken from smaller brewers and giving it to larger brewers. So they don't support these changes and they're, they're very much kind of backing what Seabra are doing. So it's not about a kind of small versus large argument. It's, it's about fairness. And, you know, mm. small brewers relief has helped thousands of small breweries to grow. We just want to kind of see that improved and extended. Uh, we don't want to see, you know, benefit taken away from small brewers. What's the government's stated reason for this? What, what's their argument for doing it other than... <laughs> more money i suppose yeah i mean it, it is about that providing kind of providing support to grow so it's mm. what, what they want to do is they want, want to provide support for businesses who are looking to grow <clears throat> and they also want to smooth that curve so you know where, where you've got a situation where businesses are, are purposely not growing because they'd be worse off clearly that that needs addressing um but government went to the industry and said we'd like to change this we'd like to reform this you know how should we do so and the industry just just couldn't come to an agreement you know you've got a, a difference of opinion between the, the very large breweries and the trade associations that represent them mm. and the very small brewers and also you know within Seba there's some breweries that think we should go in one direction and there's other brewers that think we should go in another direction so it's quite it's quite difficult to get a consensus which means that the government has kind of gone back to the industry has now launched this technical consultation uh, has launched, launched their proposed changes and that there's going to be uh, a survey coming out or actually when we broadcast the survey will have already been out which goes to brewers and, and asks them um, what they think of the changes ask them a series of questions about what they think should happen so government you know government have been pretty fair they're, they're trying to consult with industry um, and it's just about yeah making changes that are going to benefit the, the, the majority of breweries and actually the the openness from government has been quite refreshing on this you know they've been pretty transparent as to what's going on they've been in constant contact with the trade associations and you know CBA personally we've been speaking with government and with treasury at the highest level in very very regular contact so yeah we're doing our best to, well, to try and get the best deal for small brewers and I suppose the fact that small brewers relief is still a thing means that they've not given up on it completely no exactly I mean it would be hugely detrimental to the industry to, to remove something like small brewers relief it was absolutely pivotal in leading to the you know the, the growth of independent breweries in this country you know we would not have the same amount of quality beer and, and quality small breweries without small breweries relief so it, it would be silly to get rid of it and actually you know it, it earns 
the treasury money in the long run because you've got more successful businesses, more businesses growing. You know, when we're trying to kickstart the economy, it would be a bad move <laughs> to start taxing businesses more. Yeah, and as you say, it's been a tough year. What are some of the other issues your members are facing right now? We saw 200 million uh, fewer pints produced last year by yeah. small independent breweries, about 34% fall in production. I mean, that is huge. That's about that's a loss of about 10 years' worth of, of growth. The main thing for our, our members, you know, is, is that the vast majority of their beer goes into pubs. So when pubs are closed for essentially eight out of the, the, the 12 last months, they're going to be massively, massively impacted. And whilst online sales and direct sales and things like that have been hugely helpful, it's a drop in the ocean compared to, to pubs being opened. And the problem is that small breweries have not received the level of support that other businesses mm. in the hospitality industry have. So, um, yeah, they're, they're really struggling. Back in March, you hosted Beer X Online, which is normally your, your real-life beer festival and, and trade conference. Just tell me your thoughts behind doing that, and is that something you hope never to do again, or are the things you can use there <laughs> uh, after the pandemic? It was, it was interesting. It was, um, you know, Beer X is one of the, the kind of highlights of our year as a, a staff team, and I'm sure it, hopefully it's a highlight of the year for, for our members as well. We put a hell of a lot of work into it, so it seemed a shame not to be able to do it at all. Um, obviously, trade events were not able to go ahead back in March, uh, but we wanted to be able to do something. So we, we, we launched BRX Online and had kind of various uh, seminars and tutor tastings and networking and things like that going on across three days. Um, and yeah, it, it was it was a huge success and we're so glad we were able to do it. Brought together various people from across the industry, from, from beer writers um, to brewers and experts and beer sommeliers. Uh, and we delivered all that for free. So we worked with our supplier associate members and we worked with partners to kind of get sponsorship of that event to allow us to essentially open it out to the whole industry. So if, whether you're a receiver member, whether you're a brewer, whether you're a, somebody that works at a pub or anybody in the industry wanted it to be uh, totally free for them to attend. So, yeah, we were really, really proud to be able to do that. And it just seemed like exactly what Zebra as a trade association should be offering the industry at a time when we, we can't get down the pub. The thing is, we're all, we all kind of got so used to doing Zoom meetings and doing online seminars and things like that, that actually... A lot of what we normally do at BRX, which is you know a huge part of it, is, is the seminars and, and the workshops. A lot of that can be done very easily um, online. So yeah, we just wanted to kind of pivot that event to, to online. And I think it was it was largely a success. You just don't get the kind of social aspect afterwards when no. everyone you know goes down to the, the fringe events and the tap takeovers and, and enjoys a, enjoys a beer as well. So yeah, it was a shame not to be able to do that. But hopefully, um, hopefully twenty twenty two will be will be back in Liverpool. So pubs should be opening up again soon around the time you listen to this, but how else can people support independent brewers at this time when it's still very difficult for them, isn't it? No, it is absolutely. I mean, we would absolutely say, you know, support your local independent bottle shops and pubs, obviously, uh, but also support your local breweries. I mean, on the CBA website, there's a, there's a list of across the UK. Um, you can put in your postcode, it'll tell you your, your local independent brewery. So please do support them. A lot of them have got outdoor tap rooms. You can go and visit them this summer. So please do that. You know, buy independent, support your, your local independent beer. That's Neil Walker, their Head of Communications and Marketing at SEBA. And, of course, formerly of this parish, formerly with Cameron. remember working with Neil at the Great British Beer Festival behind the scenes a few years ago now. Uh, so good good to give your time to the podcast. Thanks, Neil. Now, it sounds like SEBA's actually got quite a lot of common with Cameron, hasn't it? You know, it's trying to get a better deal and fairer treatment for its members. And it's great that they fight to get their members' beers into pubs that otherwise would be serving the same stuff from one brewery. I mean, most people like me prefer a bit of variety, don't they? Oh, I'm sure they do. And it's it's great to hear that Seba has got 
800 members just goes to show that small can be successful and very interesting that a government initiative like SBR can work so well. In fact, what's mainly a progressive proportional sliding scale of duty seems to work to keep brewers from growing beyond a certain volume. Yes, he did mention that signature brew who are already over the limit, pardon the pun, uh, wouldn't have been affected but also don't support the changes. So it does sound like there's a lot of agreement in the industry, but they, they can't quite come up with the right formula. And um, Perhaps they just need to get together with a few pints, eh, now that they can, and, and no one gets out until they come to an agreement and the smoke turns white. <laughs> <laughs> I like that idea. I mean, it sounds like Siva will keep them on the straight and narrow, and will keep fighting for its members until they manage to work it out. And, and it definitely needs to be sorted out, doesn't it? Because when the small breweries have been knocked back so badly by COVID... Uh, it's something's got to happen. Neil mentioned a 34% fall in production and it being like going back 10 years. Yeah, yeah but despite that, I mean, they, they he did say they had a very successful Beer X and I'm sure that felt strange holding it online, although, as he mentioned, everyone is used to that by now. It's not just the same social scene, though. And it's worth visiting the CBA website and finding a member near you. Perhaps you might find one with an outside taproom, as Neil said. You can't get fresher beer than that. Thank you so much to Neil and Owen. And now, folks, it's time for us to dive into the archive. And this one's about Seba, funnily enough, from 1983. Just three years oh. into its life. Yes, we've oh. come forward in time, folks. We're out of the 70s and into the 80s. Careless whisper. Now, in those days, it was called the Small Independent Brewers Association, but it changed in 1995 to the Society of Independent Brewers, presumably to better reflect its aims and represent all independent brewers, but also keep that very familiar acronym. But hang on, though. It's a Society of Independent Brewers. That's SIB. So like, it's not it's not SIBA anymore. Is that are they just are they just keeping the acronym? Yeah, yeah they've just they've that. just kept themselves called SIBA because I guess that's what everyone knew it as. Because everyone know it as. No, I it. love that. So just I, just a side note on acronyms. I didn't really know. Love it. Love it. Just acronym watch everybody. Take me up on on Twitter if I don't pull these things up. Now, as this article shows, SIBA were a campaigning organisation just like Camera, and their big issue was the tied pub system, where, of course, large breweries had an 80% monopoly on pub ownership, and guess whose beer was sold in them? Yeah. We know the deal yeah. as it was. And so smaller breweries didn't have a chance at the time. And and in this article, Peter Austin, who's from the still excellent Ringwood Brewery. Oh, I love uh, Ringwood beer. Lovely. Mm. And, and he was actually chairman of SIBA at the time, and he urged an appeal to the EEC via readers local euro mps uh when we still had such a thing uh, to just <laughs> to, to sort out this tide pub problem and and incidentally the number of tide pubs has come down a bit since then uh, and it's now about 30 percent of pubs are tied gosh that's more than a bit isn't it that's quite a mm. quite a drop yeah, absolutely. And and back in 1983, Siebert were also lobbying the Westminster government for a sliding scale of duty on beer based on a system in the then West Germany, which sounds a lot like the SBR that we've been talking about today. Siebert was recruiting and Tim Chudley from the Chudley Brewery was charged with leading the recruitment drive. Unfortunately, that brewery ceased brewing a couple of years later. But the other brewery that's mentioned, which is in the Scottish borders, is still going strong, though. And the article ends with the hope that Siebert is growing with a purpose, and that's proved to be true. Oh, hasn't it just? Hasn't it just? And I think with that, we're going to ding, ding, ding that last order's bell to find out what we've all been supping this past couple of weeks. Who wants to go first? 
Well, I've got. I, mean, I reckon I'm going to win the title for longest name of a beer to fit on the Twitter. Oh, uh, <laughs> because I've been drinking a, a beer by Siren, uh, who who I do enjoy, and it's called a Hard Pour Broken Dream Nitro Breakfast Stout. Which sounds like cuspid, a, cuspid sounds double good. grub. Hugh <laughs> yes. Pugh, Barney McGrew, Hardpore Broken Dream Nitro's Breakfast Stout. There we are. And and I'm, I'm interested in it because I've got quite into nitro. Uh, is the and the, and the I, I mean just in beer, uh, not, not, <laughs> not in the, the engine. The, the family saloon goes a bit quicker these days. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's fast and the furious, Ram Verkham said. But um, just the smoothness that you get from uh, the nitro, particularly in a stout, I think is is a really interesting thing. And I've been I've been experimenting with trying those, and Ooh. and this one just uh, has a lovely can and, and a lovely name. It sounds like a kind of pedigree dog's name, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Like that. Yes. Yeah. So that's mine. Yeah, I, I was taken to task on Twitter recently when I mentioned uh, drinking dark beers. And uh, I, I must have suggested that uh, at least I probably meant just for me personally, a, a dark beer is a good winter drink. But I was taken to task and saying a, a good beer could be drunk at any time of the year and dark beers are not just for winter. Completely take that point. It's just for me when the weather's cold and, and luckily the weather has been so freezing cold. I've, I've been on the dark beers quite a bit recently. Um, but yeah, take the point that uh, good beer it doesn't just have to be at a particular time of year. So I'm I'm switching to the light beers for today so that uh, nobody can accuse me of, um, <laughs> of only drinking. Are you drinking. sensing some redemption here, Matt? Like <laughs> I am. <laughs> I am. You, you, that's the thing. It's the, you're, like, you're like me on the Twitter. Every time I read that, I'm like, you I've got to change. Never change. Never change. I'm not going to suggest for one moment that, that pale or golden beers are only for drinking in the summer. And anyway, it's been freezing cold. Oh, yeah. But I, I've, I've been drinking from uh, Hepworth & Co. Brewers, a bottled beer um, that I, I picked up. I thought, I haven't seen that in our local shops before. And it's a traditional pale ale. It's called Sussex and it's craft brewed in Sussex by Hepworth. I was reading all about them, actually, how they started from, from the closure of a, another brewery in the area. And, and this one... Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's a well-hopped traditional pale ale, thirst-quenching and uh, traditionally brewed with Sussex-grown ingredients, it says. It's 3.5% and, um, yeah, I, I'd, uh, I'd certainly have that one again. So it's Hepworth & Co. traditional pale ale called Sussex. Sussex, so, so just uh, tweeting Claire from one of my fake Twitter accounts. Just, uh, <laughs> Uh, troll beer at, uh, oh, just, uh... what are you two like well I've got a few more vaults on you this week Claire with mine uh, what if I were to say to you Bakewell what springs to mind a, a tart a tart a cake maybe well what about Thornbridge Brewery and their wonderful beer Jaipur oh yeah, yeah. now yeah I have heard of this one I, yeah. I, can't, I must have had it at some point but well, Jaipur is, is probably so famous for that brewery because it's the one that really kick-started everything that happened at Thornbridge thereafter. It's, it is an IPA um, and it's so full of... We were talking the other week, weren't we, about um, how ales develop, real ale and IPAs developed. It's a lot more Americanized. They've got lots of hops in it and things like that. Well, listen, Jaipur doesn't disappoint, but it, that wasn't what I'd been drinking. I'd been having its big brother, the Jaipur X... 
And Jaipur X is essentially the same as Jaipur, only that this thing is 10% and has got lots and lots and lots more ingredients. In fact, their website describes it as the Big Brother with lots more ingredients. 10%? 10% IPA. Nice wheels. It's got wheels, mate. It's got more nitro than your Ford Galaxy, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's lovely. It's really, really good stuff. And I had it over the bank holiday weekend with my mate Tony, who I always talk about on the show. He's a real dear friend of mine. But what's what's great about this beer, if you've not had it, is it's got all of the hops, yes, but it's also got a lovely balance of malts and malt. You love a good malt all the way from Norfolk. Uh, use a lot of Norfolk malt. So it's a great beer, and um, it was a real treat for me. It was gifted to me from Tony, and I, I enjoyed it. And boy, oh boy, was it lovely stuff. So that's my beer of the week, Jaipur X by Thornbridge. That sounds delightful. Now, I'm afraid we've come to the end of this episode of the podcast, and we've mentioned what's coming up next time, but it bears repeating. Our next podcast is all about cider. Oh, oh, yeah. And back on home ground. And <laughs> we'll be discussing the apple, the orchard, the lands, the magic of cider. And I, for one, can't wait to get stuck in. I've already got a couple in the fridge ready to, you know, to prepare, to do the research, that sort of thing. I like your thinking. I like your thinking. Well, folks, it's been a pleasure. Until next time, cheers, everybody. Cheers. 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 Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How does a free case of beer sound? Yes, you can grab a case for free courtesy of our pals at Beer52 by going to www.beer52.com forward slash people. That's the numbers 52 in the 52 and covering the meagre postage cost of £5.95. And what's more, as a special offer for our listeners, they'll throw in two extra beers for free. So that's 10 unique craft beers. Beer52 is actually the biggest beer club in the world. Each month, they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world, and this month it's an absolute belter. Their great European road trip case takes in the best beers from across the continent. So try a crisp, refreshing Pilsner from Norway's Lervig Brewery and a monster 7.5 double IPA from Sweden's Derges Brewery. On the dark side this month, there's a smooth stout from Copenhagen's Tool. There's also beer from Croatia... Poland, Germany, Serbia and Austria, among others. 
And if dark beer's not your thing, you can choose the light-only case. Also included is the ever-insightful Ferment magazine and a couple of tasty snacks. And even if, after all that, you're still unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. So head over to www.beer52, that's the numbers 5 and 2, dot com forward slash people to claim your free case of 10 beers now. <laughs> 